As we turn to our scripture today, we are, as you may know, if you've been with us uh, this summer, we are going through the Psalms, and we're journeying, today we're going to go through Psalm 69. Um, This is a little bit of a long psalm, um, so I wanted to name that, but I want you to hear the story of this psalm, hear the, the journey that the psalmist is going through. This is Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched and my eyes fell looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me, I am forced to restore what I did not steal. You know my folly, O God. My guilt is not hidden from you. May those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. O Lord, the Lord Almighty. May those who seek you not be put to shame because of me, O God of Israel. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I'm a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my own mother's sons. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am the song of the drunkards. But I pray to you, O Lord, in the time of your favor. In your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me from the deep waters. Do not let the flood waters engulf me, or the depths swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. Come near and rescue me. Redeem me because of my foes. You, You, God, know how I am scorned, disgraced, and shame. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I look for sympathy but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. May the table set before them become a snare. May become a retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents. For they persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. I am in pain and distress. May your salvation, O God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, 
more than a bull with its horns and hoofs. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them. For God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. Then people will settle there and possess it. The children of his servants will inherit it. And those who love his name will dwell there. Amen. It's good to be... um... It's good to be back uh, with you after a couple of weeks away. Um, my name is Vern Collins. I'm one of the pastors uh, here on staff, and I'm just privileged to get to open the word for us this morning. Jacob, thank you for the, the passion with which you read that psalm, because I think that that um, comes very close to capturing uh, the heart of the one who who. who Pinned these words and who who prayed this prayer uh, before the Lord. When <laughs> uh, when when Jacob asked me, uh, "How much of this psalm do you want me to read exactly?" and I said, "I really, I'm sorry, but I think we just need to read the whole thing." Um, and, and honestly, we could probably do a series. We could we could break this up into three or four or five weeks. But I, I'm I'm not just know this um, as much as I would like to. I'm not going to do a deep dive um, and keep us here for you know another hour or two. Um, but there is so much in this psalm that we can say. But the reason that it just felt important um, to me for us, as as um, Jacob said, for us to hear the journey that happens over the course of this psalm. If you remember, part of our reason for spending time in the psalms this summer, and obviously, you know, to call this series Summer in the Psalms, we are not exhausting the psalms over the course of, of this summer. Uh, that would take us way more than, than six or seven or eight weeks. Uh, we are talking about months, if not years, um, to, to just exhaust um, what, is, what is found in the psalms. But our hope in this is to uh, begin to help us maybe see the Psalms in a new way. There are Psalms that are familiar to us. Uh, Psalm 23 is probably one of the most famous, if not the most uh, famous Psalm, but then uh, the one that Ben preached on a few weeks ago, uh, Psalm 51, um, that cry of David, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Um, Those are words that are probably familiar um, to many of us. Uh, and, And then there are Psalms that we... We often use as, as our benediction. So the Psalms are, are you know, maybe as, as part of your reading plan, it's something that you read through, but for us to really appreciate what the Psalms um, accomplished for the people of God, what they meant um, for God's people historically, and then, you know, including Jesus in that. This was the pray language. This was essentially, if you could extract the Psalms from Scripture and we could hand that to you, that is essentially the prayer book of God's people. Uh, and, and so... You know, who are we to think that there's not something there uh, for us and not some, some way that the language of the Psalms might inspire and encourage us and give us words um, in, in our prayer life? And, and this Psalm in particular, Psalm um, 69, it, it is, it, and, and this is, a, again, the reason that I wanted us to look at this Psalm in its entirety. It, it is, in, in many ways, a, a roadmap for what our prayer life can look like. And, and what the shape of our, our prayers can and, and probably should um, take. 
uh, our, our working kind of title for this, when we, when we sit down and do like six months of sermon planning and just, just you know, and, and those are some of my favorite days. They're a long, they are, it's a long day um, for us as a staff uh, to come together and do that. But, you know, we come into it prayerfully. We come into it with kind of thoughts and, and ideas and, and, and we open scripture and, you know, we spend time paying attention. What, what is happening in the life of our church? What are our hopes um, for the church in this community, God, that you've planted us, what's going on in the world that's affecting us. We just kind of bring all of this to the table and, and just begin this, this process. And when we begin, I, I mean, I can tell you, like, I, we have done this enough times. You think this is, there's no way this is going to work. There's no way that by the end of the d- today, we're going to have six months worth of, God, we feel like this is where you're leading. But the Holy Spirit is faithful every single time to, to kind of take us on that journey. Um, and, and so we, we've, wisened up a little bit because uh, it used to be that we would, you know, we would kind of prayerfully like consider a series and begin to put it together and, and you know, here, here's the, you know, our, our verse or here's the scripture or the chapter or, or whatever and, um, and then here are just some, some thoughts and then we would get to it, you know, weeks, months later and say, what, why, what were we thinking when we chose that scripture? Like, what, what does this have to do with anything? And so we've, we've wisened up and begun to really try to put some flesh on it early on. But our working title for this psalm was, you mean I can say that? And, and that's really what the psalms invite us to do. It gives us a language of honesty for our prayer life. And um, listen, let, let's just be honest. If, you, if we were just going to, you know, the, the, probably the most shocking part of this psalm is, is what we find kind of in, in, the, in the middle of it. Uh, if you were to begin at verse you know, 19, you know how I am scorned, disgraced, and shamed. All my en- enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my fir- thirst. And then David goes on. May the table set before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see. May their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents, for they persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. And in the original language, that is like heap iniquity upon iniquity on them. And do not let them share in your salvation. May, be, may they be blotted out of the books of life and not be listed with the righteous. I don't know, maybe the next time someone pulls out in front of you in Scripture, now you have language to use. Maybe this is a little bit more creative and has a little bit more depth than just you know, telling somebody that they're number one. If you are a person that just feels like you would like words to be able to smite people, then you're welcome. We can pray and be done. However, <laughs> what do we do with, with that language that David so passionately uses? How do we reconcile that next to who we understand Jesus to be? The one who, as he is being tortured, says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. There's some tension there. Right? And I believe one of the things that we, we can learn from this psalm is, 
yes, the importance of honesty and speaking from, from the heart. And if you would, just speaking from the, the gut, just speaking from the, the depths of who we are. And, 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 and then kind of watching what happens when, when we take the time uh, or are willing to do that. So let's go to the beginning of this. These words that open this psalm are absolutely words of, of desperation. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those are, those are desperate words. And, you know, immediately we have to ask the question, was, did David fall in a did he fall in a deep pool? Was he in a well? Like what? This is very specific language that David is using here. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. And I don't know if that is something you have ever experienced. The, the fear that, that maybe you're drowning. Uh, we were at the beach um, one summer several years ago, and the boys were in the water swimming, and they were... Uh, you know, they were just kind of doing the, like, the, the bouncing, the bobbing along, you know, the bottom, like, just letting their, their feet hit the bottom, and, and I'm, you know, sitting on the beach watching them, and then I begin to doze because the sun feels good, and it's just, life has slowed down for a moment, and Piper is continuing to watch them because she's mom, and that's what moms do, and, um, and then all of a sudden, she's shouting my name because Gresham, our oldest, is shouting her name because Braden, the younger of our boys, all of a sudden is he is he is in this situation. Like the waters are up to his neck and there's there's panic. And and so I'm, you know, awakened like out of a, a slumber and then Im- immediately in the water after him. Um and, and by the time we get him out of the water, there's a crowd of people surrounding and it was one of those summers where there just were a lot of attacks, uh, a lot of reports of shark attacks on the North Carolina coast, and so that was, that was the immediate thought, was that he was being, you know, attacked by a, a shark, he was being dragged um, under by a shark, and so by the time we come out, there's a crowd of people um, standing on the beach watching, and, and I, I mean, hopefully they were relieved, but I think maybe they were a little bit disappointed, because there wasn't, like, it wasn't more exciting, you know, than, you know, a, a little one just getting caught in a bit of a current, and, and he's bouncing along, and all of a sudden, there's no there's no sand, like he can't feel anything under him. And Braden's a great swimmer, but it's just that moment of, of panic, you know. And, and so what, what's happening here is Lang, uh, David is not literally in a situation where he is, he is drowning, but he's using metaphorical language to describe what he is feeling. And, and so that's the first thing I want us to consider. In your prayer life, in the language that you use, in which you talk to God, what might it begin to look like to use metaphor, to use descriptive language? Not because you're helping God understand what's happening to you. It's not like, you know, if David just says, God, things are really hard right now. If you could help me, that would be great. It's not like God doesn't understand what's happening until David uses really, really um, descriptive language and, and really powerful language, uh, you know, this metaphorical language. It's not like when David uses that, God's like, oh, oh, you're really in trouble. Oh, you're really feeling, uh, you know, the, the weight of what is happening to you. You really are feeling desperate. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't catch that the first time. 
No, it's not so that God better understands what is happening to us, because God understands all of it. Perhaps the, the, the opportunity to use descriptive language and, and metaphor to describe what we are feeling and what we are experiencing doesn't help God understand our plight better, but helps us understand and come to the depths of our need for God to move and for God to answer our prayer. We do this in conversation with people, right? Some of you uh, and some of us, but I include myself in that, I love to tell story. And I love to be really descriptive in the way that I tell story because I want to invite people into what is, what is happening. Um, several of us are, are taking off on Tuesday to go and spend uh, a week in the woods uh, with Wilderness Trail. And if nothing else comes out of that, one of the things that will come out of that are really great stories. Because when you remove a bunch of people from kind of the pace of this world, and then when you remove from us technology and the thing that distracts us in this world, and then we're kind of left to just experience what's happening, and then you put people in community, and then you put packs on their backs, and then they just hike every day, really great things happen, and really great stories come out of that. And, and I love to come back and tell those stories. We do this in our conversation with people. We want them to, to like, hey, I want to invite you into what I experienced, or I want to invite you into what I am feeling or what I have felt. And so we use metaphor, we use very descriptive language so that people understand what is happening or, or what happened or what took place. Why don't we do that with God? Right? We have absolutely the gift of prayers like, like the Lord's Prayer or prayers that the church has been, been praying for, for centuries. And, and those, are, those are powerful and those are important. But I wonder if, especially if you're raised in the church, I wonder if learning to pray that way has limited us in our ability to pray in a way that's honest before the Lord. So for me, I, I'm, a, I'm a journaler. It's one of the things that helps me to pray. It helps me to be descriptive. and helps me, yes, to just be honest with God about what I'm feeling, but it also helps me to kind of get to the depth of what I'm feeling. It helps me to process it and get to the the heart and the depth of my need before the Lord. So as we begin, I just I want to lay that before you. And, and there are, um, scholars are, are, are kind of mixed on, on what could have possibly been happening uh, to David at this point. This could have, could have been written when he, was, when he was on the run from Saul. It could have been written also when he was on the run uh, from one, one of his uh, sons, Absalom. We're not entirely sure. But whatever the case, we, we, regardless of what the exact circumstances are, we, if we allow ourselves to be drawn into this prayer that David is offering up, we, we can begin to feel the desperation in this prayer. Because many of us maybe have felt a similar desperation. We have experienced those times in our lives where we feel like and the, the water is rising and I have no solid footing. I have nothing to put my foot on. And I'm worn out. I don't think I can tread water any longer. And I feel like whatever it is that I'm walking in, whatever it is that I am experiencing, whether that is the pain and the difficulty of relationship, whether it is experiencing and dealing with loss, whether it is financial concern, I mean, like, name your thing, right? Because any one of those things kind of rests and lands with any one of us differently, and in different seasons of life, we feel those things differently. For David, we, we, can, we can feel that kind of desperation, because maybe we've experienced that. Maybe you're experiencing that right now. And, 
and you find yourself kind of doing things to just try to keep that at bay and, and try to numb that and try to distract yourself from it. But one of the things that we are invited to do here is not to be distracted, not to do things that busy our minds and, and seek to distract us from what we are walking through or what we are experiencing, but to be honest about it. And to be honest about it in a way that is imaginative and to be honest about it in a way that is descriptive and to be honest about it in a way, yes, that just kind of tells God the story of what we are experiencing. Again, not so that God better understands it, but so that we better understand our need and how that is affecting us. Right, so what would it look like for you to begin to use really descriptive language in your prayers. And listen, God is not going to be one of those who like, and maybe you know some of these people, and maybe like you've felt this way when I've been telling you stories, and you're like, all right, cool, just like, let's turn the page. Too much. Too much description. God is not going to reach a point where he's like, all right, I'm sorry, what, I, I lost you like 15 minutes ago, um, or you lost me because I've been busy tending to the rest of the world. You're just telling your story and being really descriptive. That doesn't happen with God. God will listen as long as you have breath to talk. God is listening even when you don't have words to say. You are never going to use up that airtime, ever. I think for some of us, we have allowed ourselves to become too distracted. We are thinking in 140 character tweets, or we are thinking in Snapchat snaps or Instagram posts rather than quieting the noise for a while and dealing with what is in our hearts and our minds and doing the work of digging deep to the point of our need. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. David feels like he is surrounded by people, not who are for him, but who are against him. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me, I am forced to restore what I did not steal. So there's some bit of innocence that David feels in this, clearly. And, and he, he's kind of saying to God, like, I, I don't know why I am in this situation, but I can tell you that it feels like the opposition is mounted up against me. Mounted up against me. But then he goes on to say in verse 5, you, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. You, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. One of the things that begins to happen when we give ourselves the time and space to be honest before God and to be honest about the, the, the concerns of our hearts and the things that we are carrying and, and how what we are walking through is affecting us, God is listening to that. But God is also not going to pass up an opportunity to invite us to take an honest look at our hearts and our own lives. So, so David is, God, the opposition is mounted up against me, and then he says, you, God, know my folly. My, my guilt is not hidden from you. And so I wonder, in your, in your prayer life, the next thing for us to consider is, are we willing to be honest about our own brokenness? Are we willing to be honest about our own shortcomings? Are we willing to be honest about our own sin? And, and maybe that is, 
in part do, like that, that, is, that is part of the reason that we find ourselves where we do. I mean, there, there are moments in, in David's life, there's one in particular that, that comes to mind when, when David uh, commits murder and, and adultery. David absolutely created the mess that came from that. That, that, was, that was his doing. There, there, is, there is repercussion uh, as a result of that. God is willing to allow us to feel the weight of our sin and the weight of our rebellion because it brings us to a place where we are willing to realize our need for what God is offering us through Jesus. Not only forgiveness, but, but transformation to be made new, to say, you know what, those things, they're a part of my story, but they don't have to define me. Or to be able to say, hey, what I once craved, what I once sought, um, Jesus is transforming my heart every day. And slowly I'm beginning to say, those things are not life-giving to me. Instead, the only place that I find life is in Christ. So in, in, our, in our honesty about prayer, are we, uh, about what is happening in our lives, are we also willing to allow God to bring us to a place where we are honest about the condition of our hearts? Because that's what we see David do here. So he's cried out in desperation. He's begun to name um, the pain and, and, and uh, um, the difficulty that he's experiencing, but he's also then brought to a place where he has to be honest about his own heart and honest about the condition of his, his own life. God, you, you know my folly. It would be like us saying, God, you know my weakness. You, my, you know my tendency to, to turn to these things and, and grasp for these things that are just temporary fixes or that may temporarily numb uh, the pain that I'm, that I'm feeling. You know my folly. You know my weakness. My sin is ever before you. Hebrews um, chapter 4 is clear. There's, there's nothing hidden from God's sight. We are all laid bare before the Lord. And yet, it doesn't keep God from continuing to pursue us. It doesn't keep God from continuing to offer to us the grace that is made possible by Jesus. So there's hope in our willingness to be honest about our own brokenness and our own sin and the guilt that we might have in our own lives. Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me, God of Israel. May those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. So now, now we see something else begin to happen. David is dealing with his predicament. He's being honest about his own brokenness, his own guilt, the sin in his own life. And then he begins to say, you know what? But I'm not just worried about how this is affecting me. I'm worried about how this is affecting those, God, who, who also believe in you and, and who maybe believe in God because of David, because, of, um, because of, of the ways that David has led and because of the ways that God has, has chosen David. We read that David is a man after God's heart, right? Even in the face of David's rebellion and David's sin and David's selfishness, it, it is still written of David that he is a man after God's heart. And, and there, there are people, there is a kingdom that is, that is looking to God because of David. So now David's concern begins to expand beyond just his circumstances, just his predicament, just the, the desperation in which he finds himself. God, I don't want what is happening to me to cause others to doubt you. So he's worried about the integrity of, of God's name. He, he's appealing to God's character, if you will. 
God, I, I don't want this to be a stumbling block to others. I don't want this to be something that causes others to turn away. May the, those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me, God of Israel. And maybe it, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that God is going to cease allowing David to walk through this and to feel this and to experience this. But David's prayer is, God, that would, you, would you guard and protect the hearts of those who also hope in you? I don't want them to lose hope because of what is happening to me. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I'm a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. David feels alone because of his devotion to the Lord. Friends, I I believe that outside of the body of Christ especially, if you are a follower of Christ, we are living in a world in which this will become more and more true. You will feel more and more alone when you examine your life next to the priorities and the decisions and the direction that it feels like the world is going. That is why connection to the body is so important. To know that you are not alone in your desire to live a life that is honoring to God and that is a reflection of who Jesus is in this world. And we see that even in David's time, even in the life of a man who lived thousands of years ago, he felt alone in his devotion to God. We are in good company. There was another who felt alone in his devotion to the Father. The other thing that um, a psalm like this does and, and a prayer like this does is it, is it challenges our commitment to God's Word. Because if you are familiar with God's Word, if you are living a life in which you are seeking to just become steeped in God's Word, then there should be things that you read in this prayer of David that remind you of other phrases, of other people in Scripture, of other instances in, in the overarching uh, narrative of God's scripture. Verse 21, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Jesus on the cross said to those Roman guards who were standing by, I thirst. And they gave him a sponge with wine vinegar on it. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. Isaiah prophesies and tells the story of the suffering servant who, in Isaiah 53, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Those sound a lot like the words that David is uttering in this prayer in Psalm 69. It's as if David is saying, if there was only someone who knew my pain, how often is that the cry of our heart? If there was only someone who knew what this felt like, if there was only someone who could relate to the desperation that I feel, if there was only someone who felt just this 
this sense of loneliness, this sense of isolation from the rest of the world because what is happening. Can anyone relate? Friends, take heart. There is one who can relate, and his name is Jesus. You are never alone in your suffering. You are never alone in your desperation. You are never alone when you feel like the rest of the world has abandoned you, when you feel like the very people that you thought you could count on have turned their backs. You are never alone because in Jesus, you have someone who has experienced everything that we experience, who walked through the trials of life in the same manner that we did so that we might know, as the author of Hebrews says, that in Jesus we have a great high priest who has experienced what we have experienced. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence that we might find help in our time of need. David doesn't turn to a program in his desperation. He turns to a person. And his name is God. Friends, we are invited to turn to a person whose name is Jesus. Now listen, I I wholeheartedly believe that there are systems and programs in place that can help us in the processing of our pain. Absolutely. And and I I think it's unwise for us to just shy away from those or to malign those things. But we should never turn to a program or a system at the expense of turning to a person who has made himself available. God in the flesh. God who put on skin and moved into the neighborhood and walked among us and felt what we feel so that we might know that we are not alone. So David continues on, and then we begin to get into his his call for retribution and judgment on those who are doing him wrong. And, And I don't know that we should be so quick to shy away from language like this. I mean, David is clearly hurt, and David is clearly angry so much that he is calling the judgment of God upon those who have hurt him. And in order for us to appreciate what happens and and what the value of this might be, right? Because you don't, I mean, I I don't want you maybe the next time you're in your small group to think, all right, well, here it is. I'm just going to pray prayers of judgment on everyone who has harmed me. I mean, I don't know. Maybe like, maybe that's what your, your small group or your community group needs. Like, let's just air it all out. But not so that you can be the group that is known as like the, those who cast judgment on others. And, and God's retribution, like you just want him to hurl lightning bolts, you know, at people that have harmed you. But maybe the, the gift in, in allowing ourselves to feel the anger that we might feel over being hurt, over being harmed. Maybe the gift in allowing ourselves to feel the depths of what that does to us. And airing that out and using that language and being honest is what we see happen next in David's language. Verse 29, but as for me afflicted and in pain, may your salvation, God, protect me. And then he goes, and something, something different happens. There's this shift. Verse 30, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hooves. The poor will see and be glad. 
You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise the captive people. Let heaven and earth praise Him, the seas and all that move in them. For God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. Then people will settle there and possess it. The children of His servants will inherit it, and those who love His name will dwell there. It's almost as if this could be an entirely different psalm, an entirely different different prayer that David has prayed. And yet what has happened is that David's in his willingness to be honest about his pain and the desperation that he's feeling, in his willingness to be honest about his own guilt and shame and sinfulness, in his willingness to be honest about how alone he feels, and in his willingness to be honest with his anger and wanting to call God's judgment down on those who have hurt him, David has begun to experience freedom because he is not carrying that within him any longer. He has given it to the one who is capable of doing something about it. David realizes, it is not my place to judge. I have not earned that right. Yes, he is king, but he is not Lord. Yes, he is king, but ultimately he is not judge. And so in his willingness to be honest about his anger and what he's feeling, he's been brought into a place of freedom where that no longer has a hold on him, where he's no longer held captive by his anger, where he's no longer held captive by his frustration, where he's no longer held captive by the wounds that he feels at the hands of others. Because he's offered it up to the Lord. He's offered it to the only one who is able to intervene and to change his circumstances. And now it's almost as if he was able to breathe deep and to remember, wait, now really the best response for me to have is a response of praise and worship to this covenant God, this God who will always remain true to his word, this God who will never forsake me, this God who will fulfill all of his promises. Now it's in God's hands and I'm free to remember that remember the goodness of who he is. And when I remember that, the only appropriate response, friends, is one of worship. It's one of adoration. We don't have any reason to believe that David's circumstances in this moment changed, but his heart was transformed because he was willing to journey to the depths of who he is, willing to journey to the depths of what he was feeling, willing to be honest about every emotion and every feeling that he had and willing to lift those up to the Lord, to the God of heaven, to the God of Israel, to the only one who can truly do anything about it and then was free, was free to worship, had a heart that was becoming transformed, that was being made So friends, as you consider your your prayer life and as you consider what it might look like to journey through really heavy and difficult seasons, consider Psalm 69. Maybe this gives language to you in a time of desperation, in a time of need, in a time of great anger and frustration to know God's intent. Yes, it might be to leave you in those circumstances for a season, but not that those circumstances would overwhelm you to the point that you're unable to recognize the goodness of God. May your voices no longer be silenced by the predicament in which you find yourself. 
instead, may the goodness of God in the person of Jesus free you. That you may take up that song, that attitude, and, and, and yet I will praise the Lord. Because he is worthy and he is good and he is present. Let's stand and pray together. God, we confess to you that we don't always know how to deal with the emotions that we feel. We don't always know how to deal well with pain and with suffering, with anger. God, you who created us, who made us in your image and your likeness and the fullness of who you are, God, you gave us the gift of emotion. You gave us the ability to feel joy, to experience joy that we cannot contain. You gave us the ability to feel pain. You gave us the ability to feel desperation. You gave us the ability to feel anger. God, I pray that we would not be afraid of those things. And that we would not be afraid to allow them to be at the source of the ways that we honestly and, and boldly proclaim to you what we are feeling, what we are walking through, what we are experiencing. May, may our emotion help to give language, God, to what we feel. And in doing so, may we trust that you are a God who is willing to hear, that you are not put off by our anger, you are not afraid of it. But God, you, you, you desire to enter into it as we've seen you do in the person of Jesus. We're so thankful for him. And I pray that as we consider one who was stricken, one who suffered, one who felt alone, one who was so zealous for you in this world, God, that he experienced the pain of death. God, may our hearts burn for you. May zeal for your house consume us. May we find freedom our willingness to be honest before you. And may the results be lives of praise, even in the face of desperation. It's in Jesus' hope-filled and powerful name that we pray these things.